You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff and I get to serve here as one of the pastors. If you're a first or second time guest with us, it's a a delight to have you with us and we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Encourage you to stop by our first time guest tent on your way out. We'd love to be able to get connected with you there. If you're watching us, uh, we're so glad that you've chosen to continue to join with us and uh, be with us as we continue to go through our study through 1 Timothy called For the Church. Now, over the past uh, week or so, I decided to to do a little bit of research, and I, and I came across some really phenomenal testimonies, some really great stories or powerful testimonies, maybe a better, better way to say it, about people who joined. I just want to read a couple of, of statements about them, some of, the, some of the reasons why they joined. I want you to listen to these because they're just, I think that they really are helpful for us. One person said, I joined because I was accepted and I really loved the culture. Another person said, it was like cheers. Now, I know for some of us, that really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, that's a little bit beyond me, but they, they loved it. They loved cheers. And they said, everyone was glad you came and everyone knew your name. Still another joined because the people seemed loving and caring. They said, if I needed anything, they went beyond what they needed to, where they went above and beyond to make sure that I was taken care of. You know, thousands join every year. Thousands join each and every year because of the embrace and protection they feel by belonging to this group. Now, many of you might be thinking, yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping to hear about joining the church. That would be a phenomenal experience for people. That's what we hope to hear whenever people join the church. That's what it's supposed to feel like. That's what I've been praying for for years. That would be great if that's what those people were joining. The sad truth, however, is that those are the testimonies of people who joined street gangs, who found in these gangs an opportunity to belong. People who would end up giving their lives in many ways by becoming criminals, going to jail for extended periods of time, missing out on family opportunities, seeing their gang members be killed, living a life of challenge, living a life of hopelessness, even sometimes helplessness, looking back on their lives with regret and remorse. Not a pretty picture. But then imagine with me for a moment, if there was a family, a family that was started by a good, loving leader whose desire for his people, his family, was that it would function in a way that every single member's good was placed above the good of the other members, that everyone was looking out for one another, that everyone wanted to make sure that each person felt belonging and acceptance where the highest goal of each member was the good of the others. I mean, I don't know about you, but that would be a family that I would want to be a part of where people were serving each other and, and putting others' needs above one another's. This is the kind of family that the world needs to see. And in 1 Timothy, this is the kind of picture that Paul wants to paint for what the church should be, the household of faith, the way in which the church should function and love one another. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 
1 Timothy chapter five, and we're gonna see a window into this kind of family. Paul, as we kind of begin, just a little bit of context. Paul has just finished a section in 1 Timothy chapter four about Timothy's need to guard himself personally uh, in his life and the doctrine in the life of the church. Now he turns to some practical issues for Timothy to be able to apply in the life of the church, in the household of faith. Whenever he begins to address Timothy, we find out something pretty much right off the bat, that in this family, there's an issue. And the issue is, not everybody in the family is the same. There's differences in the family. I want you just to look around and you can see that is the case. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, you're not me. Yeah, you said that. I'm not you. Praise God. <laughs> the reality is that if we just use a little bit of common sense, we can look around and we can say, we are different. We are different ages. We're from different places. There's men and women here. There are differences in the life of the church. And Timothy needs to know how to handle those. He needs to know what to do in the life of the church whenever there are differences present. So I want us to focus our attention kind of on a bottom line for today and, and see how this passage kind of bears that out. And the bottom line for us today is this. In the household of faith, differences require discernment. In the household of faith, in God's family, differences, how we are different requires discernment. We have to think about how to interact with each other differently. So we're gonna go ahead and read through the whole first 16 verses of 1 Timothy chapter five. And what I wanna encourage you to do as you read through this, either on the screen, in your Bible, if you wanna make notes, I would encourage you to maybe to underline or to circle things, but I want you to notice some of the differences that the apostle Paul describes to Timothy. We're gonna read all the way through verse 16. Here's what Paul writes. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. So I'd have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may be, may, may be able to care for those who are truly 
widows. Would you pray with me as we begin our study this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us. We pray even now that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. We trust that by your providence and your sovereign hand, you have drawn us to this text this morning for your glory and for our good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about the differences in the life of our church, we came across one right at the beginning. The first is a generational difference. And the question that we have to be able to discern is how are we to relate to one another? How are we to relate to one another whenever we have a a broad variety of generations that are present? As we just read in the church, there are people who are described as older men. There are people that are described as younger men, older women, and older and younger women. Let's look at that passage just quickly again. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, before you really jump in, I just wanna make a general observation and then also just an encouragement for us here today. The general observation is this. Paul expects that a healthy church will have a broad variety of generations present. He expected in the life of a healthy church, there are going to be people that are older. There are gonna be people that are younger. This is gonna be a beautiful way for the world to see how the gospel brings generations together. Now, an encouragement. I want you guys just to look around, just kind of scan the, the crowd today. As you notice, we do have a variety of generations present. We have children here with us this morning. We have teenagers here. We have young adults here. We have young families here. We have empty nesters here. We have grandparents here. We have a broad variety of generations. And for us, that should be an encouragement to say we're doing things in a way that seem to be lining up with scripture and God is blessing that here. Because the world, if we're honest, really would rather just stick to its own kind, wouldn't it? The older people stay with the older people and they can love and listen to their music and the younger people and those crazy kids, they can do what they want to. But you see, God's design, the beauty of the household of faith comes in whenever we see that there are different generations present. It's a great way for encouragement. It's a great way for teaching and learning together. Okay, so let's get back to the the text and the main points of the message. The way we relate to one another requires discernment because we are all at different stages of life. If you think about your own family, it's something similar, right? Think about it in terms of how your family speaks to one another. I know in in our family, one of the things that we, we wanna make sure that happens is that our children talk to my wife and I and to order people with respect. So the way that they address us, we want them in their speech to be respectful. Now, one of my kids, not gonna mention any names, but he comes to me sometimes, he says, sup, bro? (laughs) Say, I ain't your bro, man. (laughs) You got some bros, but I'm not him. I am your dad. You're gonna talk to me. We're gonna talk about this in respect. And so he does. Then he goes to my wife and he says, sup, dude? I say, bro. I'm just kidding, I don't say that. I don't do that. I say, man, she, she's not your dude. She's, she's your mom. You need to speak to her with respect. You need to speak with her in a way that honors her. And the same is true in the family of God. And, and Timothy is in this situation where there may be people that are, that are doing things that are disobedient and, and he needs to correct them. Or others in the church need to correct them. And Paul's saying, there's a way in which you go about doing that. In all of this, Paul wants to remind Timothy 
that you have to handle family business in a holy way, Timothy. There's a way that you should handle business in the family, and then there's ways that you should not handle business in the family. And he wants him to see that there's a particular way to treat each and every kind of generation in their church. The first is to treat older men as fathers with respect. We see this in the passage. He says, do not rebuke them, but encourage them. Now you might be thinking, sweet. If I'm an older guy, like I can just get away with anything. Nobody can rebuke me for anything that I ever do. It's like a free pass to do what I want to. Let's just back up and think about this for a minute because Paul does instruct Timothy to rebuke people at other points. The reminder for Timothy is not that you shouldn't rebuke them, it's how you rebuke them. It's the way in which you approach individuals. You see, the word that he uses for rebuke is something like striking them. If you think about it like a harsh, demeaning tone towards somebody, beating them up with your words, rather than using a way that comes alongside them, which is the word that he used for encourage, to come alongside them, to exhort them, to, to, to try and walk with them through some sort of difficulty. Even in the way that we correct people, our speech should show respect. You probably have witnessed this out in the world. I hope that you haven't witnessed this in the life of the church, where somebody, maybe a child, an adult child maybe, has, is with their, with their adult parent, you know, an older, an individual. And the way that they speak to them, you're just like, oh, that just doesn't sound good. Like they're speaking to them in a demeaning kind of way, in a, in a harsh kind of way, not one that shows respect and honor. I heard a, a, a funny story. It's not a, so much about that, but a funny story about an older gentleman. He had lost his hearing, at least some percentage of it. So he went to the doctor to get some hearing aids. The doctor uh, gave, them, gave him the hearing aids and, and he, he went home after uh, some time. He came back. The doctor said, you can hear perfectly fine now. The man was excited about that. He said, I'm sure that your family just loves that you can hear. He says, I haven't told him yet. I'm just listening to all their conversations. And let me tell you, Doc, I've already changed my will three times <laughs> since we last met. So if you ever wonder, are people listening to the way that you speak to them? They are. And in the life of the church, the way that we address one another and speak to one another should show honor and respect. He says that we are to, to speak to uh, younger men as we, as we deal with them, to treat them, younger men, as brothers, as equals. You see, in the life of the church, it would be easy for Timothy to see the younger men in the, in the church congregation as either rivals or as rebels. People who he was competing against, trying to one-up them in the ministry, trying to teach better than them or lead better than them. Paul's saying, no, don't treat them like rivals and don't treat them like rebels. Remember that they are brothers with you, that you are to link arms with them and walk side by side for the cause of the gospel, to work together to see Christ's name magnified. Now, I don't have any brothers, but I do have three sons. And if you have a family with, with multiple boys, you know that they can get into a fist fight almost one minute, and then the next minute they can be best friends with each other. I've seen it not only in fist fights, but in multiple times where there've been conflict or competition, but then just a few minutes later, somebody tries to talk junk about one of my boys. The other one is right there by his side. He's backing him up. He's with him. He's making sure that he knows that he's in his corner. This is one of those opportunities to remember that we are to, to teach and to be as younger men equals in our relationship. He also talks about how we are to treat older women. We're to treat older women as mothers with gentleness. 
The way that we talk to older women is to be in relation to gentleness. And this would be particularly helpful for Timothy. You know that Paul has written to Timothy about his mom and his grandmother at other times in scripture to talk about how they had led him to faith in Christ, how their witness and their faith was a, a testimony and an example for Timothy to follow. He also talks to us about how we were to treat younger women. He says we we're to treat younger women as sisters by protecting them, to treat younger women as sisters by protecting them. He uses the words at the end of that clause in all purity. We're to treat younger women as sisters in all purity. This is so important for the church. This is so important for Timothy. Now, while it is true for how all men should treat younger women, all men in the church should treat younger women as sisters, it's especially true for Timothy as he is the leader and the pastor in the life of the church. You know, we're in a culture where overstepping boundaries and abuse runs rampant. It's not just in the culture, but you've probably heard that it has made its way into the church. And so for Timothy, as a pastor, as a leader, it's imperative that he views women in a way that he protects them and does not take advantage of their vulnerability or of their youth, that we are to treat women with honor and dignity. That's what Paul is reminding Timothy. You have to be very careful about this, Timothy. Now in the life of churches, men have to counsel women sometimes. There are times when pastors and leaders have to counsel women, but I just want to, to tell you, we see a picture, even a better picture of how that is to function in Titus chapter two, where older women are to counsel and encourage younger women. And I'm so grateful in the life of our church that we have women like Jamie Bentfield, who is our women's discipleship coordinator, who spends time, hours, meeting with young ladies to encourage them or, or other ladies in the life of our church who are either serving as biblical counselors in the life of our church or who are pursuing certification as biblical counselors. So they can take time to, to dive into the depths of what ladies need in the life of our church. So they can care for them in a way that honors the Lord and helps them in their walk. It's such a great opportunity for us and as a faith family to see this working its way out. Again, we're reminded that this is the household of God. Timothy wants him to, Paul wants Timothy to see this picture. And as we interact with one another, we discern the differences and we respond toward one another in the life of the church in a way that reflects godliness. Remember, the world is watching how we treat each other. The world is watching how younger people treat older people. The world is watching how older people treat younger people in the life of the church. We are to be the pillar and buttress of the truth as we learned last week. And so that flows out into our relationships with one another. But there's a second difference that requires discernment, and, and that comes in the area of the need difference. And the, the discernment is, how do we help those in need? How do we help those in need in the life of the church? Notice what Paul says in verse three. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, this might come as a surprise that all widows aren't created equally. Like, I mean, technically they are. And the fact that a widow is technically someone whose husband has passed away. And that is the technical definition. But there are different kinds of widows when it comes to the needs in their lives. And in order for us to, to really kind of get our minds around this, we just have to go back just a, a few minutes to a principle that Pastor Phil taught us a couple of weeks ago based on the, the reality that all 
passages of scripture are written to a cultural context. So in the first century, women who were widows, and even in many places today, women who are widows, whose husbands have died, could find themselves with literally no means of support. There's no pension plans, no social security, no life insurance policies. If their husband died, they were on their own for all intents and purposes. They had no one that was going to come along and bail them out. So a widow in the first century was very poor, very alone, very, very, very by herself in every, every sense of the word. And if they were a Christian, there was even more challenge because people in the first century would be okay if Christian widows were just to starve to death. They had no real concern for Christian widows. We need to be reminded that in this, Paul isn't necessarily giving us a directive for how to start a widow ministry in the life of the church. He's not saying this is what you have to do each and every time, but he's saying that in this particular context, these are differences, Timothy, that you have to discern. These are ways in which you have to think through the issue of who they are so that you can help them appropriately. And while we may not be in the same situation as it relates to widows in our day, there are still people who have needs. We have people that have needs that come to us all the time. You have people that come to you with needs all the time. And so we can find some general principles in this, this text of scripture for us each and every day. The first principle that we have to be able to discern is that for some, we have to discern their absolute need, that they are in dire straits apart from any help. Notice how Paul writes it to Timothy. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. True widows, from Paul's perspective to Timothy, whenever Timothy is evaluating all the ladies that come to him and say, I need help, I'm a widow. Paul says true widows are widows to whom or whom have no one but God to come to their aid. There's nobody else that's gonna help them except God and for whom God has their full attention. That their hope is set on him, that their eyes and their minds are set on God, that their desire is to honor him with their whole life. Throughout the pages of scripture, we see that God does have a particular care for orphans and for widows, for people to whom it seems like there's nobody to come to their aid, there's nobody to help, that they are all alone in the world. God is always reminding us that even those people are never all alone that God is always with them, that God is always caring for them, that always, God is always providing for them. And for these ladies, God is telling the church through Paul to Timothy, the church, you church, are to be the means by which I show my faithfulness, by which I show my provision and my care. And he gives a few qualifications for these ladies. The first thing that we see is that she is a prayerful woman. She continues night and day in prayers and supplications. Interestingly, it doesn't say that she did pray, that a long time passed when she was a young lady, she prayed a lot and we looked at that. No, she prays all the time. She is a lady who has given herself to praying and supplicating, asking God to do things on behalf of others. This is just a reminder and an encouragement for us. 
If you're here today, maybe you find yourself in that, in an older lady, an older woman category, and you think, man, my, my prime is behind me. My ministry help is gone. Like, I, I'm just not really helpful in the ministry anymore. And this is just a reminder for you that there is, there is a ministry that you can do that ability and age are not prerequisites for. And it's pray. And it's something that God values highly. I can think of someone who wasn't a, a widow by any stretch of the imagination at that point in time, and she had family to care for her. But she always prayed for her children and for her grandchildren. One day, the, the nurses of the, of the care facility came to her and she was telling them all about her kids and her grandkids. And they said, ma'am, how do you remember all those dozens of kids and grandkids' names and those great grandkids that you pray for and tell us about? She said, well, it would be really, it's hard for me to forget their names. I pray for them every night. Every night I'm praying for them, asking God to work in their lives. It's a great encouragement for us that maybe think we're beyond our prime, that God has got you in this place in time, in this season of life, maybe to be a prayer warrior on behalf of other people. I would encourage you to take that as a challenge even this morning. But secondly, we see that she is a proven woman. She's a proven woman. They've observed the character of her life. They've observed her for some time. Paul says that she is to be around 60 years of age. She's a woman who is to show faithfulness. Her life is showing maturity and service, compassion and devotion. Now, we might think this is just a, a really high job description. Like if we could aspire to that, what a phenomenal testimony in our culture today. Maybe Paul is encouraging and challenging you. Maybe even as a younger lady here today, that's something to aspire to something to look forward and emulate in my own life? Are we pursuing Christ with all of our heart? Are we giving him our all in devotion? But this isn't the only kind of widow that's seeking help. She is the one that needs absolute help. And we see the need and, and the church is called to care for this person. But there's another kind of widow that comes to Timothy. She's a kind of widow that, that Timothy has to discern as well. He has to discern that for some, they have a depth of need. We have to discern the depth of their need. It's not a physical need necessarily. It's a deeper need that she has. Notice what he says in verse six. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. While there are women who are pursuing the Lord, while we can see the testimony of their life being borne out in the way that they walk in the life of the church and in their community, here, Paul helps us to see that there are those who need help that goes beyond a handout. You see, there are women in the life of that church that are coming to Paul who don't need a handout. They need their heart addressed. They have a, a need that is deeper than anything that money could buy for them. Anything that Paul or Timothy could give them physically, they have a need that is deeper now, how often do we think that I can just give somebody something and it's going to fix all their problems? If I could just give them a little bit more money or give them a little bit more time or give them a little bit more anything, it would help. But really, their need isn't something physical. It's a spiritual need. They need new life. They need the gospel. You see, this is a woman who has given herself to seeking pleasure and comfort. She lives a life of luxury. She's pursuing a sinful lifestyle and she is coming to the church asking for them to continue to fund it. 
She wants the church to affirm her lifestyle by continuing to pay for it. Paul reminds Timothy, her need isn't something that you can give her with money. Timothy, she's spiritually dead. She is a woman who, if you just gave her money, it would just increase the intensity of her immorality. She would just pursue it more. Timothy, she needs the gospel. She needs someone to help her see the emptiness of the pursuits that she's after. She needs someone to help her to see that all the things that she's pursuing, all the ways that she's living are only going to lead to her demise and to an eternity separated from God. She needs someone to help her see the end of her pursuits and point her to Christ as the only means of satisfaction, the only means of true and lasting satisfaction. Timothy, you have to help her see the true depth of her need and point her to the place where she can find hope. You probably interact with people like this all the time. People who, who, who come to you for help. They just want resources, but you know they need, the, they need Christ. They need the Lord. So as we perceive and as we discern people, there's a reminder that there are some people that we interact with who have a need that is deeper than anything we could hand out. But there's also a third group. There's a third group of people that Timothy has to discern. He has to discern that for some, help is already at hand. There are some who already have help at hand and he needs to discern this so he can help them in their pursuit. Notice what he writes. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then in verse eight, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see, there were some widows who were widows in a technical sense. Their husbands had died, but God had already provided the needed help for them. Their help was already there and it was in the, in the place of their own physical family. They had people who could care for them. And rather than the church being the one that came in and provided for them, Paul is telling Timothy, they have people at hand. Encourage them to take care of their parents. Encourage them to take care of their mom. And rather than the church being the means by which they were cared for, they were reminded of the fact that the kids and grandkids were to embrace their responsibility of supporting their mother. Now there's a direct application for us, my family in this, and it's in the fact that we decided to have four kids. We thought to ourselves, I did, long-term planning, that one day I'm gonna be gone. The good chance is my wife's probably gonna outlive me. And so my insurance plan is the four of them. They're gonna provide for her whenever I'm gone. We're gonna spend all of her money now. And whenever she gets older, haven't told them this yet. It's going to be their job to make sure their mom's taken care of. They're going to be the ones that are responsible for her. They're going to be the ones that are caring for her. They're going to be the ones that are going to be encouraging her. And it makes sense, doesn't it? For years, think about how our moms cared for us, how they gave for us. It's only right, as we think about it in God's economy, that whenever they are in their times of need, this is a great way for the church, especially for believers, to practice godliness, to show the world we, we are people who don't just take what, what is given with, with a, a handout attitude or mentality. We, we desire to repay, even in our relationship with our parents, is the kindness that has been given to us. 
It's a great picture for us in exhibiting godliness. You remember in chapter four that Paul said that we are to train for godliness, that that is something we are to pursue. Here's a real life way for us, maybe for some of you that are younger in here today, for us to see godliness worked out in the context of our community, for us to be the kind of people who care for others in their time of need. I love the way that one pastor describes it. He says, if our Christianity doesn't work at home, then it doesn't work. And this is the picture that Paul is trying to remind Timothy of. If we are serving in our church, if we are serving in our community, yet our family is suffering because we're not concerned about their well-being, then our Christianity is not functioning the way that it should. He says that the Christian faith should make us more concerned, not less concerned about the practical needs of others. If you think about it just for a minute, if you're in a family and maybe you're the only professing believer, maybe your brothers and sisters aren't Christians, maybe your parents aren't even Christians, what better way for your life to be a testimony of the work of the gospel than to be the one that is the first one there to serve, be the one that is there the longest to serve, the one that is giving more opportunity, the one that is there cutting the grass whenever it needs to be cut, the one that is there serving whenever needs are present. He reminds us, even in this, that this kind of a service is something that even unbelievers expect. And so for us as the church, how much more should we be about the business of serving those who have cared for us? Timothy says, if they have help at hand, encourage their families to step up and care for them. Challenge them to pursue godliness by prioritizing the needs of their own families. So Timothy has to discern those who are in absolute need. He has to discern those who have a deeper need. He has to discern those who have help at hand. And lastly, he has to discern that there are some people for whom helping could be hurting. He has to discern that there are some people that helping could provide and promote hurtfulness. Notice what he says in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows. As Timothy is approached by younger women whose husbands have died, we see that there are challenges that, that, could, be, that, that, could, be that could be present there. The first challenge that we see in this is that she could make a vow that she can't keep. And Paul is concerned about these widows. Notice how Paul writes it. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. As, as those younger ladies come to Timothy, maybe he's reminded or Paul's reminded that there's a possibility, a natural tendency even for, for those ladies a few weeks, a few months after their husbands have passed away, to make a specific kind of vow, to vow their lives in service to the church. If you think about it, kind of like becoming a nun. They, they committed their whole life to serving in the life of the church. She may devout her, devote herself to remain single and serve the Lord only. Now we know in other places, in 1 Corinthians particularly, that Paul says that there's a gift called singleness. And what he wants Timothy to be aware of here is that there's a difference between the gift of singleness and the grief that accompanies being a widow. And he wants them to see, you have to be able to discern where this young lady is. You have to know where she is so that you can appropriately help her. You see, Timothy, after a few years, there's a good chance 
that she is going to desire to remarry, which is a good thing. And this may lead her away from that devotion that she had at first, not that she becomes a non-Christian or that she leaves the faith, but that she's not able to keep the vow that she made, which will be hurtful for her and it will be harmful to the church. You can imagine she's there serving in the life of the church. And as she's serving, a young man takes notice of her. He sees her godly example, the way that she's pursuing the Lord and honoring the Lord. And that's attractive to him. And so he approaches her. And at the same time, she's seen him doing the same thing in the life of the church. She's now in a situation where she's got this vow that she's made to serve the Lord and a good desire to remarry. And so either way that she goes, she could be in a dangerous, hurtful position for herself and the church. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, shepherd her through this. Help her to see that getting married is not a bad thing. It's a good thing for her. And she can wait and she can pray and she can ask the Lord to give her strength and the church can encourage her in this. But help her to discern the freedom that she still has to enjoy becoming a wife again. So the first reason is to protect her from making a commitment she can't keep. And the second we see is that she could become a hindrance rather than a minister. She could become a hindrance rather than a minister. Notice what Paul writes in verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not, for some have already strayed after Satan. You've heard it said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Paul is telling Timothy this could be the case for these young ladies, where they could have or maybe would have in that culture been giving themselves to caring for children, raising them for working in a particular way. Here they have nothing else to do. And so they're going about from house to house. They're learning and developing a habit of being idle. You remember back in 1 Timothy chapter two, Paul encourages women to learn and to grow in godliness, to learn God's word, to study it, to be able to instruct other ladies, to grow in Christian discipleship. But it seems that in some cases, especially for these young widows, the opportunity to grow and learn was being squandered. Rather than becoming students of God-honoring works, they were growing in laziness. Rather than going out and sharing the message of the gospel, they were going from house to house bringing gossip. So rather than ordaining the gospel with lives of godliness, they were opening the church to attacks from the enemy. And Paul says to Timothy, this is, this is not a good thing for them or for the church. So he tells him in verse 14, I would rather have young widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. If you recall, even in 1 Timothy chapter four, there was a, a false teaching going around that denied the goodness of marriage. And even some of these widows may have bought into that. Paul is reminding Timothy, it's good for them to get married. This is a good God-honoring thing. Isn't it amazing when we think about consequences, how they actually do uh, come from ideas? Ideas always have consequences. And there was a group of ladies who maybe bought into a false teaching about uh, forbidding marriage, and now their lives are reflecting a godlessness, a pursuit of something that doesn't honor the Lord. And so Timothy needs to shepherd these ladies that marriage and family are good that there's something that can be delightful for them to encourage them to pursue and embrace things that will bring honor 
to God. And he concludes this section in verse 16 like this. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. You see, Paul isn't saying the church doesn't need to care for anybody. Paul's saying the church is ready and and willing to care. But there are particular people who God has already provided that care for. And the church is to be about the business of caring for those who are truly in need. You see, the church is to provide for the widows and those in need whenever their families don't. When someone refuses to care for their widowed mom, the congregation will always step in and provide care. And in so doing, the church will care for that mom like a mom that should be honored. So when the world sees our church, when the world sees the church, the question is, what kind of family do they see? Do they see a family who is only out for itself? Do they see people who don't care about the needs of others, who don't discern the differences in their culture? Or does our culture, our community, see a a family that's so well cared for, so intentionally cared for that there's no other family they could imagine being a part of? Because as our church faithfully reflects being that kind of a family, it points us and the world to the Father points the world to a father who cares for his people, who cares for his children, who has brought them into his family by the sacrifice of his own son. And this is an opportunity for us as God's people to point others to Christ. Just in the way that we interact with each other is a testimony of the powerful work of the gospel. So our prayer, even though we aren't perfect in this, even though every day we don't always put everybody else's need higher than ours, Our prayer is that we are progressing in this, that our faith family learns to discern the differences so that we can faithfully apply the appropriate level of care for one another. This morning, as we close, we're gonna do something a little different. We don't typically do this, but we're gonna take just a few moments, just a few minutes uh, to ask God, you individually, quietly right there in in your own seat, in in your own heart, to ask God how this message applies to you personally. I have some questions that we've derived for you to be able to consider and ask God through praying through these questions. What is it that you want me to learn and grow from here today, Lord? How do you want me to be different as I leave here? How do you want me to approach people differently? So we need to take a few moments, probably two minutes. It's gonna be quiet, maybe a little bit uncomfortable for you, but that's okay. We're gonna pray that, God's spirit would work in our hearts and apply this message in a way that he deems fit to each and every one of us. Then I'll come back up and I'll pray for us and then, uh, and then we'll go out for the rest of the week. So we're gonna take a few moments here now and ask God to search our hearts and to work in us only that which he can. Let's pray or spend time together doing that. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for your word. Lord, I thank you that even in every page of scripture, Your word has something to speak to us. That it's all inspired by you, that it's all good for our growth and godliness and for the life of our church and for our lives and our church family to reflect your goodness and your kindness so that others might see how the gospel transforms us. So Lord, as we go from here today, I pray that you would help us to see areas in which we can serve others. I pray that you would help us even with a, 
a holy zeal and desire to care for those in all ages, to be intentional with that. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us to accomplish what you've called us to. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.